guys welcome back to sorry no podcast today uh where we are recording a second episode of the week um but there's actually no podcast because we've kicked jp aj and karina off the show uh the other half of us are here uh because we are in or were in uh, in tyler's case uh mobile alabama for the senior bowl um i am your host alex um i was also in frisco for the shrine bowl this week uh, and we're just going to hop on and talk about uh, what we've seen kind of this week out on the road, um, both on the field, off the field, just kind of like patrolling around town. Uh, and so, yeah, we just thought we'd give you guys a second episode this week. Um, obviously, uh, AJ, JP and Karina recorded their episode earlier this week, talking about AJ's seven rounder that went up on Pro Football Network uh, and kind of just talking through some general scouting process, things like that. Um, that was uh, a great episode, one of our best ones that's ever come out, mostly because Kevin wasn't on it in any capacity whatsoever. Wow, true uh, that. <laughs> and so make sure you guys go back and watch, uh, and listen to that one if you haven't already. Uh, but we're not going to do any of that. Uh, we're just going to kind of vibe uh, and talk through our uh, our time in Mobile the last few days here. Um, we are joined, of course, by Tyler Fornes from Vikings Wire. How are you doing, Tyler? You know what? I'm pretty good. Uh I almost got stranded in Dallas again. I got stranded in Dallas in 2022 and American airlines has this thing where if there's weather, they don't fly. And I had to go uh, stay at a buddy's house. Lucky enough. I had a buddy within 45 minutes of the airport. Um, and then we get on the second plane and there's a mechanical failure and we have to deplane. And we're just like, Oh crap, here we go. Cause otherwise I should have been home before seven. I didn't get home till almost 10 o'clock, but we got up on a plane two hours later. And because of that, I got recognized for doing all my media stuff. So that was kind of cool. Um, but uh, I, I miss you guys. I kind of wish I was still there, but I'm also really glad to be home. Odie missed me like crazy. He's sitting next to me right now, like a good boy. And, but we have a lot to talk about. This was a really, really good week. And, it was an interesting week for a lot of reasons. And I think the first thing I want to do is I want to bury the practices. The structure sure. of these practices were awful. Um, I don't know how they were at Shrine, <laughs> but the American team practice, it was almost like a, it was designed specifically because somebody had a special teams practice fetish and they practiced special teams. I, it felt like an hour each practice and completely ignored one-on-ones especially on that last practice they didn't do them until the very end and it, it it was really hard as an evaluator to really get a sense for what some of these players are because we didn't have a lot of opportunities in comparison to normal other years to actually see what they have to offer and it was very frustrating yeah so we can get back to that in just a second but in typical fashion we have not introduced kevin kevin is here uh hi kevin I don't think that's a problem if you don't introduce me. That feels like that sort of fits the bit of the show. Okay, let's move on then. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I mean, as far as the practices go, this is a criticism that happens every year, I feel like, where one of the team uh, teams 
does a pretty heavy special teams period. And, uh, you know, it's something that the people, the assorted media in attendance are not a huge fan of, and it's not necessarily a super great thing for evaluation and everything. But I think that like, I don't really mind it as much, um, mostly because there's also an understanding that I think that most people lose sight of that. Like these guys are trying to prepare for a game. And a lot of these guys have never played special teams in their lives because they've always been the best player on their team. Um, and so like you have to teach them how to do literally anything uh, so that you can have like punt and field goal units that like are capable of doing anything in a game setting because like, I mean, we saw uh, in the game this morning, like there were still plenty of punts, plenty of field goals, plenty of kickoffs, um, all that sort of stuff. So like you have well, to teach those guys. Kickoffs. No, there were three. like four, but um, you know, but like you do have to, you know, teach those guys how to do that. So I understand it from that perspective. Um, but I also do understand that like it's frustrating as an evaluator um to not just have essentially three hours of one-on-ones all three days um to be able to evaluate guys that way. Um, but I I've kind of like softened on complaining about that sort of thing because like at the end of the day, they're still preparing for a game and like that's yeah. just practices have to go in order to install that sort of I stuff. Think, and I, I think, think it's one of those things, Alex, where I think it's a combination. I think you're right. And I also think I'm right. And here's what I mean. I, I'm completely fine with them doing special teams. They are playing a game and they have to practice for it. And your point about a lot of these guys not having played special teams is 100% valid. My issue with it was how long each of these special teams uh, segments were. And we have to remember, they do install stuff on Fridays that is not open to the public. So they do have an extra day of practice. My biggest thing was it was egregious compared to other years. And I don't think so. I think, I, that that, I think that that's something that we say every year, uh, mostly because the Patriots are here a whole bunch all the time. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you, this. these practices were worse than Matt Patricia's. Matt Patricia's were, like, ungodly awful. That doesn't um, sound possible. It, they were worse than Matt Patricia's in um, some of the conversations I had. I wasn't the only one that felt that way. Uh, like, so, you know what? Maybe it's pedantics and I'm just whining, but it, it was really frustrating watching American team practice, especially when you compare it to national team, where everything felt a lot more organized, coordinated, and designed in part to both benefit evaluators and the talent itself. And I think that stark contrast is probably what's uh, impacting my thoughts here a lot. So I think the thing about the practices is that like, I think a lot of fans and a lot of like the media working in the event in that sense, like want just a ton of one-on-ones, but like, is it possible or even like feasible to have like each practice is two hours. If you have an hour and a half of just one-on-ones, like guys are going to die like for three straight days. If that's all you do. Like they're going to die. And so like, I'm not I even asking for three days of one-on-ones. I'm asking for just a little bit more. Like the, we didn't even see on the, on the American team side, a lot of really good seven on seven, like, we weren't getting a lot of opportunities just to see these guys play in a setting that we can evaluate them. And to me, that was the most frustrating well, part. I'm not even asking for like even 45 minutes or 30 minutes of one-on-ones. I was just asking 
for a little bit more and a little bit better structure. And I, I, maybe I'm a little overboard in some of my earlier complaints, but I don't feel like what in this instance, like just a little bit better structure and a little bit more was, is unfair in this sense. I don't, but it, it is what it is. I, I think the real criticism for me is more so that we got like a ton of the individual position drills as more than just like the five minute, 10 minute session we had on pun team. Like I, I just think we had too many of these like individual drills and the weird stoppages throughout where they would like huddle and then go right back to playing on 11 was just pissing me off. But that's just me being miserable, I guess. You are very miserable. I am. Um, But speaking of kind of those one-on-ones and uh, practice and and all that, um, we can kind of pivot to like what we saw these days of practice. Obviously, Kevin and Tyler were there for uh, all three days of practice. Um, I joined them for the last two days. Um, I was still in Frisco uh, on Tuesday for the first day of practice. Um, But Kevin and I stayed for the game uh, that happened earlier today um, as we're recording this uh, Saturday night. Um, And so, yeah, who are are some of the guys that that stood out to you guys? Uh, We'll start with Tyler. I actually released a list of 10 guys that I thought did a lot to improve their draft stock, but I eliminated anybody who was previously thought of as a first round pick because I, I didn't want to have that conversation because the guys who were already a first round pick, they, I don't really think they improved their draft stock a whole lot. Like Quinion Mitchell just solidified where a lot of people already had him, which is like back end of the first round. Layatu Latu kind of did the same thing in like the teen range. Fuaga showed that he could still be that top 10 pick that some were already predicting him to be. So like, I kind of eliminated those guys and you can read the whole thing at vikingswire.com. I don't want to go into it, but I want to touch on a couple guys. I was really, really impressed with Roman Wilson and I'm not the only one. He was arguably the best player on the field. As far as just on the practices, he was phenomenal. And a lot of the questions I had had to do with the route running, had to do with some of the releases because at Michigan, he, they used him on like jet motions, orbit motions, and u- utilizing him in the same motion style as Tyreek Hill to get him those free releases and up to speed. So then he wasn't getting any kind of jam or anything on the line. Well, he came in and just dominated at the line of scrimmage and was able to get off clean and then run really crisp routes. And I thought he did a lot for his stock in that way. And he impressed me a lot. I actually moved him up in my rankings, moved him up from a third round grade to a second round grade because he answered a lot of the questions I had about him. And even though it's not necessarily a game setting, if you do that with any form of consistency down here, that speaks volumes. And you know what? He did it against Quinion Mitchell. He was the only guy to beat Mitchell this week. And I thought that's, that was excellent. Um, I'll go one more before we, we go to you guys. I thought Spencer Rattler is the best quarterback here. And that, that's not really saying that much. I think Michael Penix Jr. is the best quarterback prospect of the group, pending medicals. But just from how they played, uh, Rattler had a couple of bozo moments. We we know he got intercepted on that on that robber-looking 11-on-11, so that was a bad throw. But he had a lot of consistency. He was driving the ball to the outside and had a lot of really nice corner routes, go routes and one-on-ones. He was throwing the ball really well. And... Then he followed it up with the MVP win today. Only, only played the one drive, but four for four. 
64 yards and a touchdown and looked really, really good in doing so. I, I thought Rattler did a lot to show that the arm talent is there and he's taking some steps forward. And I'd be really intrigued to see him behind an offensive line that isn't full of Kevin's and just full of actual football players. And I, I don't know if he's ever going to be anything, but if you're looking at him versus any of these other kind of developmental guys, I'll take the bet on Rattler who that like QB, the QB one series on Netflix, like he was immature. He was cocky. Like there were a lot of negative things about him, but the person I talked to in mobile and the person that conducted himself throughout the week, it wasn't the same person. He looked tenfold different, tenfold more mature. And he looked like somebody you'd want to bring into your locker room a hundred percent of the time. So I'm in on Rattler. If you want a developmental guy with all the tools and hope you can kind of fix some of the things that make Spencer Rattler, Spencer Rattler, I would, I would be willing to consider him in round three, but I, I thought he was the best quarterback here and I didn't think he was super close, but I know Kevin will probably differ. Like Michael Pratt was good. Um, Penix was good, but none of the other guys really were with any form of consistency. Yeah. So I think like to return to your point about Roman Wilson, um, one of the things that uh, I had talked about while I was uh, over in Frisco for the Shrine Bowl, where uh, his teammate Cornelius Johnson was, uh, where Johnson looked really good during the week uh, at Shrine Bowl practices as well, um, like over the weekend and kind of earlier this week. Uh, and one of the things that I talked about with him was that there's so much that's not on his tape at Michigan that he showed at practice at the Shrine Bowl. Um, and you always to me, at least like personally, I always give those guys a little bit more credit than someone who shows up and just throws down everything that's already on their tape, but they do it at a super high level during the, this setting. Um, so like guys like Johnson or Wilson or someone like that, where it's like Michigan kind of, I don't want to say didn't put them in the best position to succeed because obviously they won a national championship. Um, but like those guys maybe individually weren't being asked to do everything that they're capable of doing um and so you put them in a setting like this and allow them to kind of showcase their versatility in that sense where like with johnson it was always like we know that he can push vertically we know that he can run those kind of like deep and more intermediate routes but in frisco he showed like he can win off the line a lot more and like he can win on a slant or a comeback or something like that and he has like a little bit more nuance as a route runner then maybe is super apparent on his film at Michigan. Uh, and with Wilson, kind of like what you were saying, it's like we saw him do all of the stuff off free releases and kind of like be this big yak guy. Um, and in Mobile, we've seen him be able to beat press and win off the line and, you know, again, win some of those like shorter, more intermediate routes. Um, and so I feel like, you know, you always want to give credit to a guy like that that kind of shows something that you didn't see before. Um, now whether, you know, that means that you should be moving them up or down a full round or so, I'm not really, you know, super convinced about that. Um, cause obviously like it's a, it's a three day sample size compared to the entire season. Um, there's a lot of breaking down that you have to do to determine like, okay, is this a can't or a wasn't asked to do sort of thing like when he was in college, um, and basing, you know, 
whether or not he can or can't do that off three days of practice tape is can get a little bit dicey sometimes. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can get yourself into kind of a hard place with that. I agree, but I will say I moved him up two points on my board. So we went from a high third to a low second. So it wasn't like a full round. It was just he got the bump because I think he properly answered the question. And he did so against the other best player in Mobile and Quinion Mitchell, where I think it's an he wasn't asked to do that. Not that he can't. And I, I really do think he can. And if anybody doesn't want to make that kind of bump, I respect it. But sure. I got, and I, I got I, a firm I, enough answer. Yeah, sure. And I, like, I'm not even talking about you specifically. Like, obviously, you mentioned that you did do that, but I'm not even talking about you in particular, right? But there's a lot of people that uh, the senior bowl kind of comes and goes, and like people stand out, and you take a fourth or fifth round prospect who looks good in mobile, and you're like, oh, well, this is a day two lock now, all of a sudden. And it's like, well, let, let's hang on, man. Like, it, it's not like, you know, uh, people are not jumping that far normally. Um, they might in the media landscape because the media is late to them. Um, but it's fairly infrequent, uh, at least in my experience that the NFL like moves guys up an entire round or two rounds based on like three days of tape. Um, I do want to talk about Mitchell a little bit too, because you mentioned that like you tried to leave off guys that were considered like, you know, first round locks already. I don't really necessarily think that Mitchell was considered that was. coming into the week. Um, so I, I, maybe I phrased it wrong. I didn't mean first round locks, guys who are already being mocked in the first round. Like I tried to just stay away from those guys when constructing my list because I didn't think he, I think it was more of a solidify rather than he completely jumped in the first round. Like we could talk about Darius Robinson. Robinson, I saw, I think it was Eric Edholm. He put out a mock draft. Uh, yesterday had him in the first round. Like that's the kind of jump into the first round I'm talking about. Like I was seeing Quinion Mitchell at the end of the first round in mocks a few weeks ago. Like to me, I wanted to stay away from guys who were being mocked in round one and focus on guys who I thought did more for their stock. If that makes sense. Sure. I think I'm just, I just mean like from a broader perspective, I don't know necessarily that like, even though he's been kind of like in the back half of the first round in, in mock drafts that have come out the last couple of weeks, I don't know that necessarily like the general consuming public has kind of like gotten all the way there with him as like a consensus first round guy. I think, I think his stock began to rose like a week before senior bowl. And I think that's people finally watching him or watching him deeper. Right. Like, yeah, kind of like as they I get think, prepared. Yeah, because I think that, like, he definitely helped his stock, but I don't think he helped his stock in the sense of, like, he's potentially moving up around now, right? Like, I think he was probably going to go late first regardless because he's got the tools. You know, he's not five foot nine uh, and he's got, like, good size. And so he fits all those, like, sort of check marks. I do just want to say this Darius Robinson first round thing is classic senior bowl overreaction that we do every year with normally an edge guy. Uh, last year was Keon White, where we had like a week or two where people were putting him in the first round. Uh, I thought Robinson had a great week. Don't get me wrong, but like first round pick, I don't really see that uh, regardless I do just want to go back to an earlier point from Tyler because it was something that 
I had heard all week, and that was like Spencer Rattler on the QB1 documentary. Like, Tyler's not the first person to bring that up this week because I had heard probably just in passing three or four other like groups of media members mentioned that documentary. And I do just want to say that I spoke to a head coach who was on that documentary or whose school, whose quarterback was on the documentary, and he freaking hated it because he felt it didn't show the quarterbacks in the best way. Like it sort of, and I think this is a problem with a lot of these shows. It's too sensationalized. Yes, it's it's sensationalized and it sort of pushes the worst moments and it shows these guys as negatives when they're not necessarily negatives as much as the podcast or the, the show may want to say. And it's like, I think the thing that he had told me off the record, and it wasn't Spencer Rattler's coach, was like, they fucking hated it. And like they didn't want their school to be on there. They didn't want their quarterback to be on there. But they also realized that like getting their quarterback on there, getting their school on there is probably a good thing. Regardless, um, I I just struggle to like sort of see Darius Robinson as a first rounder and Quinn Young, like I think he did a lot to help his stock, but I just don't love calling him like the biggest winner of the week because like he's a guy who at least I expected to impress throughout the week. Oh, sure. And like, I'm not trying to say that Quinn R. Mitchell was like the biggest winner of the week. I just wanted to at least talk about him because like he had a phenomenal. Oh week. yeah, for sure. Um, And so, you know, I, I think that it's at least worth like talking about the week that he had, because I do think that like, he's kind of gone from a, kind of fringe round one to two guy to someone where it's like, this guy's not going to make it out of the first round. Uh, he's probably not going to make it out of the top, like 25. Um, I think and he's so, top 20. yeah, I think he's top 22, but just like, you know, to kind of play it a little bit safer. Um, like he's definitely not going to make it out of the top 25. Um, and I think that this week kind of solidified, like Tyler mentioned, kind of solidified all of that for him because like the only person that he lost a rep to the entire week with Roman Wilson, who we've already established looked like one of the best players on the field the entire week. Um, and so I just wanted to at least like talk about him in the sense of like, he did solidify that. Um, I do kind of agree with Kevin as far as the Robinson thing goes. Um, I talked to a few people about this uh, during the week once I got down here and the comparison that I used uh, which is not a play style, not a player comparison, not anything other than just kind of the way that their draft process went uh, comparison, is that it feels a lot to me like Logan Hall, um, who ended up going 33rd to the Buccaneers a couple years ago, where Logan Hall came down to the here to the Senior Bowl in 2022, had a great week. Uh, and everyone started putting him in first round mock drafts and everyone started talking about him as like, this is a guy who's not going to get out of the top 20. like. You have to find a place for him in the first round. He's just going to go in the first round. But he was kind of a weird, like, tweener body type where it was like, are you going to play him full-time at edge? Is he going to play five tech? Like, where he plays is going to be pretty highly dependent on, like, what sort of scheme a team runs. And so he ends up falling to 33, and the Bucks take him there. Um, and so, you know, it's just outside the first round. And so, like, you know, you can talk all you want about, like, you know, that – is essentially a first rounder, right? Um, but I think that it's a similar thing with Robinson, 
where I think like the compulsion to put him in the first round after dominating the way that he did this week, um, especially against a pretty solid tackle class that he had uh, in practice um, is understandable. Um, Like I certainly understand the compulsion and I certainly understand the, um, the need to do that because especially like if you have people that are consuming a mock draft that have followed along with the senior bowl the whole week and you don't put a guy like that up there, people are going to ask questions. They're going to say like, Hey man, why isn't Robinson a first rounder? I just watched him beat the crap out of everyone for three days. And that's been my only exposure to him really. Um, And obviously there were some sourced reports from like Daniel Jeremiah this week from talking to scouts who said like, Hey, this really looks like a first round player. I don't really know. Um, we get those a lot. Like those are very common, especially around this time of year where like, there are a lot of scouts that have a lot of opinions. Um, I think that it's worth remembering that like a, every NFL team scout is a consensus board among all of those scouts in the building. So if there's one scout that thinks Darius Robinson is a first rounder, that doesn't mean that like a team thinks that he's a first rounder and B that every NFL team's board looks wildly different depending on scheme and personnel and their needs and, you know, everything else, blah, blah, blah. Um, And so it's certainly possible that a team will have him with a first round grade. And if they do, then, you know, good for them. I have no qualms with that. Um, But I think it's more likely that Robinson has kind of played himself into the top 50 range where he's going to be like, probably an early second because he's a guy who's like he's 6'2 280 um he's kind of a weird body type they were playing him at edge and at five tech it didn't really matter uh, hey, uh Kat, whether uh, or whether or not he was gonna Katzen. win he's 6'5 286 sorry yeah, and six saints right. arms he, he's he's a bigger guy yeah right but like 6'5 286 like that is more of a five tech body type um, but he played primarily out on the edge uh, at Missouri, and he played primarily out on the edge, uh, you know, during most of the week in Mobile. They moved him inside to five tech, moved him inside even to three tech this week. Um, and so, like, he's shown that he can do all of those things, but those are the sorts of guys where it's kind of like it's difficult to find them a consistent home in the NFL without having a really solid plan for them from day one. And I don't necessarily think that every NFL team is going to have one of those. And so I think that you could see a team that's in the back half of the first that even if they have a first round grade on him, say like, hey, we could probably trade back in the early second, let someone jump up for like a quarterback or receiver or something that they want to get the fifth year option on, move down to like 37, 40 ish range and still be able to get a guy that we really like um, at you know, a, a lower cost, um, while still like, you know, picking up some picks here and there kind of in between, um, because he's not going to be for everyone. Um, and I think that that's, uh, you know, it, it, like Kevin said, it is just kind of a classic senior bowl thing, um, that happens every year. There's always one or two of these guys that we do this with every year and they end up being top 50 players. And a lot of them end up being really, really good players in the league. And so like, I don't want to make it sound like we're like, trashing him or anything i think that he's awesome um but i think that he's going to be closer to top 50 than top 32 i think i think the thing is that like i watched him earlier in 
before Senior Bowl. And I was impressed. Like, I had said, like, dang, this guy's really damn good. But I didn't come away with the feeling that this guy was, like, a first-round pick, right? And because I think the biggest thing is that, like, there were plays where he was just sort of non-existent. And that's fine, but you don't really get first-round pick when there are five or six plays a game where this guy's just not there, like, just doesn't seem to be there. And so, like, I love Darius Robinson. Like, I couldn't stop singing the praises of him this week. But as Alex mentioned, tweener, it's a lot of, like, Logan Hall – 33rd to like 45th range and it really does require a defensive coordinator who sort of can sit there and go like this is the plan let like trust me to let this plan come into a process because like you also have to be able to convince someone that you see this tweener as someone who is more than just like a a a player and you see him as this entire like plan and I don't know if you can convince a guy in late round one to be like talk about him in that sense. Yeah. No notes. I I don't disagree. I, I saw a lot of flashes that hey, maybe this guy can be first round because I the only really exposure I had to him coming in was the flashes that I saw when I was watching his teammate Ennis Rakestraw Jr. And it was there were some nutty flashes, but that was all. I didn't study him in depth. So if somebody wants to take a guy like that in round one, I think I would understand it. But we're also having this conversation before any sort of athletic testing. So if he just tests off the charts, then I think we're having a different conversation based on the player that we know right now. Yeah, I think top 50 is completely fair. I just, he, he was one of my big winners. I loved him. Um, yeah, he was, he was a big winner. I think a guy who did play himself into the first round, because I think that there was like very minor discussion heading into this week that this guy might be a first rounder because the tape is really good. And, you know, he played for a big school, but I thought Jackson Powers Johnson was incredible this week. And he didn't get to play a lot because he had a nagging injury that sort of kept him out of I think the final day or maybe the final two days of practice, but like when he was he on the aggravated it, which is uh, why um, you could tell, uh, I think it was his final rep, his leg kind of slipped under him. And when he yeah. anchored, he got re-injured. But like I watched him and every time he had a rep, it was like he won it and he won it comfortably. And when you have a guy like that, who could play center and can play center at a high level, can play guard, like, that guy screams mid twenties first round pick to me, especially when you look at some of the teams who are picking in that area. Like, you know, there are so many teams in that mid twenties spot who could look at a guy like that and go first rounder. We have a multi-year starter at center. And that's, I think a little bit more valuable nowadays than it was even like five years ago. Yeah. I think with powers Johnson, like He's been someone that's been discussed a lot for the team that I cover for the Chargers. Um, 
as like a guy that you know potentially you can get at 37 to be a multi-year starter no that's not gonna happen yeah, not anymore uh i think that his absolute floor probably if i had to like guess right this second like absolute 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 floor is probably dallas at 24 that's with tyler biotish hitting free agency um I think that that's like as low as he will go. I think that's such a Dallas Cowboys pick too. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that like somewhere in there, obviously you have Miami at 20 or 21 also who will be looking for a center with Connor Williams hitting a free agency. Um, Like there's a lot of, like Kevin said, there's a lot of teams that are kind of in that zone that I think that that's going to be where he ends up. And he's shown that he's more than deserving of that. I think like he kind of suffers from uh, a phenomenon that I've noticed over the past few years, which is just that mock draft simulators tend to be very slow to update their projections for offensive linemen, especially interior offensive linemen. And so there's a misalignment of expectation uh, in kind of the general viewing public uh, when you can get on PFF or PFN or, you know, any of these mock draft sims. And you're like, well, I can get Jackson Powers Johnson at the bottom of the second. Like, you know, I love this player. I don't understand why he's not getting more hype. And then you get to the senior bowl and he wins every rep comfortably. And it's like, yeah, no, that's a top 20 pick probably. <laughs> um, and like, it's just a, a inertia problem um, that happens with a lot of these kind of like less sexy positions um, where they just don't move up the board as quickly as they should on some of these simulators. And so like people get kind of infatuated with the idea that, you know, you can draft a guy like that at 50 and it's like, that probably was never realistic. Um, like, I don't ever really think that like his stock was going to be that low, um, even before this week. And I think now leaving this week, it's very obvious, like he is going to be, if not a top 20, a top 25 pick, um, and yeah, he, I mean, he was phenomenal this week. Um, obviously you hope that that, uh, re-aggravation of the injury doesn't like impact his ability to do anything for the rest of this process. Um, but if it doesn't, as long as it doesn't, um, you know, I, I think he's a lock for the first round. You guys want some breaking news? What happened? Raiders hire, are going to hire Luke Getzey as OC. Oh my God. That's really funny. They're going to trade for Justin Fields. They're going to do oh, it again. They- Yes, I. I don't even. That's real. That's really bad. (laughs) Your fucking sucks, dude. That's really bad. Um, man, that's brutal. I like. I like tried to sit here and like process it with the, like, glass half full approach, and I still can't. I don't know what the glass half full approach is for a dude who like. You had former NFL quarterbacks screaming into a void about how bad the fucking offense was. And so you see this guy and you're like, I want this guy to be my OC. Uh, You know what I'm going to say about that hire is that um, you should draft Michael Mayer in fantasy this year. Um, yes. because Cole Komet had like 12 touchdowns this season, even though he really can't do anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Mayer is going to pop off in that offense. Everyone else is going to have a terrible time. Yeah. Uh, but it's good like, for Michael Mayer. Uh, congratulations on his Pro Bowl uh, invitation in 2025. 
Getsy's so weird, and then we'll obviously continue on. Like fifty percent of his play schemes are very Shanahan and Lafleur esque because and the other fifty percent are screens. The no, the other fifty percent look like they were designed by a toddler. Because yeah, the, the, oh, there's so many oh, poorly designed screens. <laughs> there's so many of his route concepts where two guys are literally in the same spot, and it's like, "Daw, what are we doing?" Like it's. <laughs> The Raiders are going to be weird this year, and I can't, um, it'll be interesting. I was so excited for the Antonio Pierce hire, and now I don't think the vibes could be any lower. And there was a situation where they very briefly hired Cliff Kingsbury to run their offense. Yeah, no, that uh, that sucks. I don't like that at all. <laughs> um, speaking of things I didn't like at all, uh, Tez Walker. Catch oh, the ball. Bad. Please, just for the love of catch God, the catch the ball once. Um, I, listen, I think that it's it's difficult to, like, firmly say that anyone really, like, um, destroys their draft stock at events like this. Unless you're someone that doesn't, like, just bombs interviews or doesn't accept interviews, um, which there's a player that was at Shrine last year that did that that will remain unnamed um, and ended up going undrafted. Um, But like, unless you do that, like it's pretty hard to like completely like tank your draft stock. Um, You can hurt it though. Yeah. What Walker did, I think is like pretty close. Um, I do think in his defense, he was getting hyped up as someone that he just wasn't coming into this week the first round yeah like people people were talking real. about him as like a fringe first like high second rounder and like i never saw that um our uh our good buddy Corey kinnon uh over at brown's wire has been talking about walker for a long time as just like this is a vertical specialist receiver you're going to send him on deep routes he's going to be a deep threat guy that's it that's what he is. And that's okay. It's okay to be that. It is okay to just be 70% of DK Metcalf. Uh, like, that's a fine player to be. DK Metcalf is really good. The Seahawks pay him a lot of money because he's really good at running four routes. Uh, if you're, like, 70% of that at running those same four routes, that's still a pretty good player. Um, especially for, like, a team like Chicago that just hired Seattle's OC from last season. Um And so I think, like, it's hard for him because he came into this week so hyped up as a first, second-round player, and that was just never who he was. And I think that he showed that that's not who he was this week in Mobile. Um, He had drop issues. He had separation issues. He, you know, just, like, and the one-on-one setting is not really, like, his best area it's not really someplace where he can shine because even if you have some of those more vertical pressing routes they're so long developing and you put the corner in such like an aggressive position that it's not really the same as it will be in a game situation where it's like hey man you're gonna have off coverage we just want you to you know kind of give a little double move and fake out this corner run by up it's all press 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 and so you know like I still think that he's a third, fourth round player or so as just like a like 
deep threat specialist. And that's where he's going to go. And he's going to be really good at that sort of thing. Um, but I think that this week has kind of proven that, like, the people that were saying that he can be, like, a number one alpha type of receiver that kind of, like, does everything, like, that's just not who he is. And that's okay. You don't, not every guy is going to be that. Yeah, I, I, I completely it, agree. And I think it needs to be said, he only uh, measuring is six one and a half, So you're not even getting, like, this this massive alpha as far as like a body type. He's under 200 pounds. He looks a lot bigger on tape, but he's just not. And well, I, I think the biggest thing is that like, I never got the comps to DK Metcalf because he doesn't have that same body type. Right. And like, he may be a similar player in role, but he's not a similar player in body type. And some of DK Metcalf's advantages come from being the tallest fucking mm-hmm. wide receiver DB on the field. And right. Like in, or the most physical, right. Like he'll lift your body weight and make it look easy. But like, I think the biggest problem for Tez Walker was that he just dropped a lot of fucking balls between the game today and even earlier practices. And that's a problem because being a vertical threat and being able to win vertically is cool, but catching the ball is one of those. It's like the most important thing. And there wasn't an answer that he's like able to do that consistently. And that's inherently a problem for a guy build as a vertical deep threat who could go earlier than like the third round. Yeah, uh, to me, the DK Metcalf conversation is more of a construct rather than an actual like one to one comp, because I I agree with you, Kevin, the body types are just not similar enough. It's more this guy can only run X amount of routes. He can't turn. He can't do a lot of those things. And I I can't remember who it was. And I know you guys will. Somebody somebody said Marquez Valdez-Scanley. I think it was JP. And I think that's a better fit, but it's it's more of a construct. It's more of a play style than anything. And I think those advantages make DK Metcalf a significantly better prospect and a player because of what we've seen in the NFL. But those limitations, when I watched them on film, were really scary. And I'm just like, if you can't do this, you have to be that alpha if you're really going to be able to be that great player at the next level. And it, he just... I wanted if he would have come in here dominated, I think we could have started to have a little bit of a conversation to be closer to what some are hyping him up as is this round one alpha guy. But he came in here and just laid a dud. And I feel for him because a lot of what Katzen was saying, these one on ones aren't necessarily designed for him. And one of the things that's even more tough about him trying to win vertically down the field is unless your quarterback's throwing you the ball they don't know where to place it. They don't know how to place it for you. And going off by a foot can make a massive difference for being able to catch a 50-50 style ball. And it's it's just tough. I feel for him. Like, yeah, he, and I mean, you could, ball placement he, was a huge issue for every quarterback in Mobile this week. Uh, oh, yeah. There was a story about uh, the balls not being prepared correctly, and so the balls were super slick for the first day of practice. And then uh, our Lord and Savior Bo Nix <laughs> came through with his own batch of footballs uh, for day two of practice for all the quarterbacks to use, and the ball pre- placement did not improve. 
Um, so that was a funny thing that happened. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely do agree that like, that's a huge part of it too, right? Is that like, if you're a contested catch guy and you're a vertical threat down the field, which like we saw with some of these other guys as well, and the quarterbacks can't put it in an area that you're used to winning from, can't put it in an area where you can make a play on it, then yeah, it's going to be really difficult for you to look like you had a good week. Um, someone that benefited from that, though, I think, uh, who we all really enjoyed this week, and I know like from our conversations that we had during practice, was Jarvis Brownlee, the Louisville corner. So good. Like, oh. He took advantage of that on every single rep. And I thought that outside of Quinion, he was arguably the best corner here. Uh, and that's not really something that I was expecting coming into this week. And I know, like, Tyler, you just watched him today. I know he's going to be super high on my watch list when I get back home here tomorrow. Um, but he's someone that, like, I really wasn't expecting this out of. And to see him, like, make all of these plays on the ball and just like be like be in the right spot at the right time every single time like so consistently like that um i think that he's someone that like made himself a lot of money this week yeah um i've turned on the film saturday afternoon because he he had two back-to-back reps in one-on-ones where and it reminded me of darius rush last year because rush did the exact same thing where he gets beat uh, uh, to the inside right off a of press. But instead of panicking or carrying vertically, he stays patient. And then the second he sees the receiver start making the break inside, he cuts it off and he does it twice. And I'm just like, this dude is balling out. And he was basically gifted an interception. Uh, I, I think it was earlier today where the ball was just thrown. He's like, oh, I just have to go get it. We still have the wherewithal to get it. So he deserves a little bit of credit. But when I turned on the film, he was tremendous, uh, feisty, really aggressive, and attacking downhill, never panicking. And I gave him a second-round grade. I was really, really, really impressed with the film. And I thought the thing, the cool thing is, which is what I like to do after I see senior bowl guys and then I actually get to their film, is contextualizing what they did in Mobile and looking at it from the film. Is it the same? Is it different? And I thought the way he played in Mobile really emphasized his play, but I'll say this, and we're jumping way too far ahead. His teammate Quincy Riley might be better. Oh yeah, I really like oh, Riley. I was he's awesome. Kind of surprised that he decided to go back next year. Um, I I do think that he's going to be really good. But yeah, I think like with Brownlee, like you mentioned, like the the patience that he has, um, and I think you mentioned like the the inside. Uh, inside cutoff uh, that he had on a couple reps too. I think it was on Wednesday where he had one rep where he cut it off inside so badly that like the quarterback just didn't even throw it in one-on-ones, which like that's so rare because like these guys, like the quarterbacks throwing these passes are taught like, Hey man, one-on-ones are not about whether or not you're going to throw a pick. If it's covered, still throw it and like give your receiver a chance to make a play on the ball because this is a receiver in a DB drill. And so like for your coverage to be good enough that like the quarterback is just like, I'm not throwing this. There's no point in throwing this. We all know what's going to happen if I let this ball go. That is so rare. Like that happens maybe once a year at the senior bowl uh, across all three days of practice. And so 
you know, to be the guy that has that rep, I think is like notable. Um, and then uh, again, like you said, like with the patience and everything, like I thought that him, Quinion and Max Melton from Rutgers were really the only Melton's three really corners good. that like showed that's that level of patience that you need to have in order to be like a uh like a stud corner in the NFL. A lot of these other guys got, you know, either got grabby or got panicky, you know, where it's like you either grab them like right at the beginning of the route and to just like physically control where the receiver is going to kind of like win the rep that way or like they the receiver makes one cut and you're immediately like freaking out all the time um and like scrambling to get back to a guy and like you know tangling your feet together while the ball's in the air and getting called for pis and stuff like that i thought that those three really were the best about like staying steady through their back pedal transitioning smoothly out of it and just like staying patient sticking with routes and trusting the fact that they're going to be there when the ball gets there. And I think that all three of them really reap the benefits of doing that this week. Um, and so that was something that I, that I really like to see from him as well. Um, like I said, I still have to go back to his tape once I get back home uh, tomorrow, but he's someone that I'm very excited to watch and someone that I think has been uh, woefully underrepresented uh, prior to this week. Um in kind of the draft coverage uh, this winter. I think another guy that for me impressed a ton. Uh, first of all, I'll let Tyler like call the ice on him later because he's one of his guys. Dylan Lobby was really damn good all week. And you can call the ISO later, but I thought Patrick Paul was like really good at times. And he still has his flaws, right? Like he is, Still has some technique issues that sort of lead him to trouble against power rushers that has to get figured out. But for a dude who was who came in at like 340 pounds, damn near, and was six foot seven or six foot eight, like he looked really good against a bunch of different pass rushers. And that's the most impressive thing, right? Is that like you're going to in these senior bowl settings against you know, these kind of edge rushers, you're getting a ton of different body types. You're going to get a ton of different moves. You're getting a ton of different sort of everything. And he still played really well. And that was huge for him. Uh, I still don't really know about his draft stock yet. Like I still have some questions about where he goes, but I thought he was really impressive. And that's was pretty much the best thing he could have done for his stock was play as well as he did over the span of three days yeah real quick before tyler gets into his iso about lobby paul came in at six seven three thirty three with over 36 inch arms yeah. um you know so like kevin was saying for a guy that huge to move that well and play as well as he did i still think that he's probably going to be someone that lands more in like the second round range just because of how packed oh, his tackle mean, yeah. class he's is not a first rounder but... um but I thought, yeah, I thought he was someone that helped himself quite a bit. Um, Wouldn't but shock now, me if he went round three because this yeah. tackle class is bonkers. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but Tyler, we'll we'll let you go on your uh, your Dylan Lobby soapbox here, uh, starting now. <laughs> Listen, yeah, yeah, he's a member of the All Forno team, and I will say Brownlee also um, is the fifth member of the All Forno team. Uh, this group has, I think, all five of them were in Mobile so far, which is pretty cool. But Labe, I had a conversation with him uh, at Media Day, 
And I asked him straight up because one of the things that was made him really unique was he could win out of the slot. Dylan Labe was used at New Hampshire. Like people talk about Christian McCaffrey being used like as that really like actual slot weapon. McCaffrey's really settled into being just a pure running back now, which is fine. And he's very good at it, but Labe can win up out of the slot. He had 12 catches for something like 300 yards against central Michigan. And he was winning without hitches, slot fades. And that's kind of his bread and butter. And he proved that in mobile. What he told me was he had, they were already comfortable with him as a running back and knowing the playbook. They're just like, Hey, we want you to spend spring practice uh, learning. We want you to spend spring practice learning just how to be a slot receiver. And that's how that he kind of really developed that because running backs don't learn how to be a slot receiver. That's just not in the normal skill set. It's not in the normal development plan, but he had the ability to do so and they wanted to take advantage of it. And my biggest question for him was, what does the athleticism look like? Because against FCS opponents, it looks really good, but is it that good against his contemporaries when he is going to get to the next level? And I thought it was fine. It wasn't, it was, he's probably going to run mid four fives, which I think is, is plenty good enough. And he may be a third down back right away, but I think he can be a, your one a uh, in an offense or within like uh, one or two years, because I think he is that good. He has the ability to do a lot of things that you really want to see. And then that extra ability to actually play in the slot, like, just imagine him with the Miami Dolphins. I don't necessarily think he's fast enough for what they want to do, but how they like to be versatile and use pony and attack you from so many different angles. I think utilizing him in that kind of slot would be fantastic. And I think he may go in round three. My guess is he goes round four or five because this running back class isn't super deep, uh, but it, He's just a really, really good football player and a guy I I would want to bring into my team. Yeah, definitely. I think that he's he's close to that fourth or fifth round range for me, but I definitely get the uh, the compulsion. I'm also lower on the running back class as a whole, so I kind of think that the first guy will not really go until kind of the third round. So um, it gets kind of muddy there. Um, one guy that I wanted to touch on too uh, is kind of a – it's kind of a homer pick because obviously like it's, it's my alma mater and everything, but I did like – I did legitimately think that he looked very good, and I've seen other people say that he uh, looked very good this week. And that's uh, Washington tackle Roger Rosengarten. Um, I thought that he got better across all three days of practice. Like, he improved pretty steadily as the week went along. This is a guy who, when I was in the press box in 2022, so last season, um, I was I went to UW's home opener uh, against Kent state with, uh, Ben Glassmeyer, who's a good buddy of ours. Um, and we were on the sideline watching warmups before the game. And, uh, it was Rosengarten's first start at right tackle. And we saw him warming up and we said, man, if this guy develops the way that he should, like, this is a future first round player. Um, it didn't necessarily work out that way. I think he's going to be closer to like the third ish round probably this season. Um, but he's someone that has really, I think gotten not overshadowed, but kind of like has been much more in the background uh, when you talk about this Washington offense, because obviously like Michael Penix is a huge story. Romo Dunze is a top five player in the class. Troy Fatanu is an excellent player. 
uh, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk. Uh, you have, you know, two borderline draftable tight ends. You have Dylan Johnson. Like there's so many stories on that offense that it's just like, it, there's a lot of like meat to work through before you get to like, Hey, this right tackle is pretty good too. Um, but Fatanu pulled out um, the day before the first day of practices. And so Rosengarten was kind of the more in the spotlight than he would be normally. And I thought that he performed really well, um, showed some, you know, really nice hand replacement stuff, really nice footwork thing, like all things that are on his, his Washington tape. But I thought that he improved a little bit off of what he showed this season. Uh, like I said, got better every week and really like, didn't really lose very many reps convincingly. And the ones that he did were mostly to Liatu Latu. And it's like, okay, man, like Latu is the most polished, polished pass rusher in terms of like plan that we've seen in a couple of years. Like if you lose, if you're losing reps to that guy, I'm kind of fine. Um, you know, like if you're beating everyone else and that's the only guy that you're losing to, I'm kind of good with that. That seems fine to me. Um, so just wanted to give him a shout out. I thought that he performed really well this week. I think another guy for me who was like incredibly impressive for the situation he was put in. And I don't think he was perfect. Right. But like James Williams came into this week, pretty much a big question mark because he played at safety all of last year. Uh, he, was recruited to be a safety and uh, the NFL or the senior bowl moved him down to linebacker. And he was playing at, I think like two thirty two thirty two thirty And so like he was playing heavier than he did last year in college at Miami. And I thought he still moved incredibly well. And that was my biggest question mark because I think he has the skill set to play linebacker at the next level, but can you still move the way that you did in college when you have to add that way? And he was moving incredibly well. And he had some really good reps against, uh, you know, the tight ends in one-on-ones and some of the running backs as well. Uh, wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it was really encouraging for me to be able to see him put those reps together at the bigger size, playing a position he's not entirely used to. And I know that there were some talks when Lance Goodry took over that defensive coordinator job that maybe he's better fit to play linebacker uh, or, or play in the box as much. But I thought he was really good for a dude who had to pretty much learn on the fly how to play position. Yeah, I think that that's a good shout out as well. Um, we are approaching the hour-ish mark, so I want to do kind of a a more fun thing to kind of close us out here is our final segment. Um, what was your guys's favorite story off the, like not necessarily on the field this week uh, being down here, obviously the three of us were in an Airbnb together. We were sharing it with our good buddy, Devin Jackson, our friend, Arif Hassan. Um, we got up to all sorts of trouble this week, both at practice and outside. Uh, so what is your guys' kind of just like favorite story from the week, whether it's related to practice or not related to anything that had to do with football at all? We'll start with, uh, starting with Tyler. Honestly, it, this could go so many different directions, but I think the two things that'll stand out is one, I didn't get my credential until an hour to first practice. 
because it wasn't printed. And I thought um, for being in such a bind in the situation, I thought the PR team was awesome in how they handled it and how just kind and professional they were when they could have just thrown their hands up and been like, screw all of this. Uh, I thought they were awesome. I wanted to give them a shout. But honestly, half of the draw of going to Mobile nowadays is the camaraderie and it's the bonding and not just talking football and watching practice, which we did plenty of. And in the Airbnb, we were grinding film as, as, as a group until like one thirty-two in the morning. Like that to me is what stands out. And I'll, I'll never forget my, my best friend's wife. Uh, she was so mad at me for going to my first senior bowl because I was going to share a hotel room with somebody I'd never met in person before. And she's like, your internet friends are going to kill you. Uh, well, um, my internet friends are now some of the, the people I, I probably care about the most. And I think that experience of just hanging out, sharing the Airbnb, talking ball, watching practice, making fun of Kevin, I think is, was probably we did the best plenty part of that. Of it. Let's be clear. Yeah. It was, it was probably the, be- the best part. Um, and within that, there are so many stories, which we'll talk about. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about Pazookis until the, the end of time. Uh, Shout out to Kenzie. It was that's that's going to resonate with me for a while. It's just hanging out in the Airbnb and um, me cleaning up after Kevin and making you guys breakfast and that kind of stuff. It, I just, I mean, I almost died five years ago, and being able to still do that kind of stuff, it it just hits different for me. Kevin, what was your favorite thing from this week? Well, it's definitely not getting shots thrown at me when you're not even in the same room as me anymore. But I uh, threw them plenty when I was in the same room yeah, as you, Kevin. And now you're still throwing them. Um, <laughs> look, first of all, shout out Mackenzie from BJ's because we love Mackenzie. God, she was yes. awesome. She was amazing. Uh, but I think like the funniest thing was that like we somehow got in this rabbit hole of like trying to find the worst college football offensive lineman last season. <laughs> like it got to the point that we were like looking up uh, PFF grades to see who was like graded the worst just so we could watch their film. And let's be clear. These guys are not in this year's draft and they are probably not draft eligible players, but it was so much fun trying to like go down a rabbit hole of like, finding out that this unnamed left guard from a, a, a division one college football program is a, a Lowe's employee and a forklift operator. And it now it's suddenly becoming a bit that like, I don't think it's just going to like die out for at least a while because it's so fucking stupid. Um, but yeah, that's like, I think the thing that really stands out is like, as Tyler mentioned, like, I think the senior bowl has become less of like, look at these prospects play because film is so much more accessible nowadays than it was even like three years ago. But it's more so about like, it's basically like a giant mid midweek vacation, right? If like, you're kind of shooting the shit for four days and there's like some football involved as well. Yeah, definitely. I think like, I, I definitely echo those sentiments, especially because like, listen, man, like, if you really want to, you can just sign up 
for a virtual credential or get the you know login to the the app that has all the film on it from someone that's on the ground here and like you can watch all the practices and stuff from your house you don't have to come down here in order to do all that part the reason to come down here is to see everyone and put faces to names and you know be able to like watch practice and go have a three hour long dinner at a chain restaurant with <laughs> a, a server whose life story you learn uh, over the course of the night. Uh, and, you know, just like be able to like engage in the human experience a little bit more. Um, you know, I think like Tyler's sentiments definitely ring true for me also. Like, you know, the first year that I came down here in 2020, I took a week off of college to come down here and like skipped a week of class. And like, you know, I, I told all my professors and everything ahead of time. I let everyone know like, Hey, I'm going to be gone for a week. If there's anything that I need to do early, I'll do it and everything. But it was like, at the time, like I wasn't making any money doing any of this stuff. I wasn't really like making any mo like I wasn't really making any headway doing any of this stuff either. I think the first year that I came down here, I had maybe 200 followers on Twitter uh, and I had been writing about football for three months. Uh, and I said, you know what, like, I'm just going to take this leap and I'm going to come down here and I'm going to see what I can make out of it. Uh, and you know, like the, the growth that I've seen from, you know, some of those people that I met at that 2020 senior bowl, I mean, like I met Tyler at that senior bowl. Um, and you know, like there are so many other people that I met either because of that or kind of like in that same like period of time that now like over the past four years like watching all of us kind of like grow into new roles together and add new people uh as we kind of continue to meet people that are coming up and like as we kind of come up and continue to meet people that are in better places than we ever thought we were going to be in it's so cool and so inspiring to see like i always leave this trip feeling so inspired and having feeling like i have so much momentum to carry forward into like the rest of my draft prep and into the rest of my off season and i i put out a tweet about it yesterday when everyone else was kind of like tweeting about how they were heading out of town and reflecting on their experience whatever and i was like well i'm not gonna wait until sunday to do this because no one will care by then <laughs> um <laughs> But, you know, like I, I said in, in that tweet, like if I could bottle that momentum and just keep it for like the entire year, I would because I would be able to get so much done because every year I'm just so astonished at how inspiring all the people that I get to spend time with are. Um, and, you know, all of that sappy bullshit that everyone says every time that they come down here and do everything. But like it is true, right? Like, you know, being able to see these people in person and see you guys and, you know, just like go and hang out and do some dumb shit uh, is the highlight of the week. Now, I will also say, in terms of stories, here we go. Outside of that, the most, the best thing this week, and I don't want to spoil too much of it because we are currently researching a story that should come out in the next two weeks or so about it. But there is a player that was at the senior bowl this week that they smuggled into practice. They did not announce that he was here. They gave him a Jersey number of a player that was injured. That player and the player that came to replace him wear the same color helmet. 
everyone thought that the guy that replaced the injured guy was the injured guy the entire time that he was here. Um, we did, you know, we did a quick interview media availability with him uh, once we figured out that he was here, um, which if you go back through our tweets, you'll be able to figure out who we're talking about. It's, it's not that difficult. Um, we're, so we're kind of the ones that like broke the news that he was here because we noticed that it was a helmet that we didn't recognize. And we said, Hey, who is this? And we looked at the roster and we were like, well, it can't be that guy. He broke his hand yesterday. Um, and the senior bowl never announced that he was here. Uh, the school announced that he was here kind of, um, every single roster provided to the media did not have him on it. Um, he played really fucking well through two days of practice and in the game, which makes it even more fascinating that they never mentioned that he was here. Um, and just even like the research on that story that is going to, like I said, is going to come out in the next two weeks here, hopefully as long as everything goes well, sitting here in the Airbnb with all of you guys, because all five of us are going to be contributing on that story. And sitting here and researching that with you guys and going through like the flight tracking and like pouring through Instagram and like pouring through the interview that we did with him and like looking through Instagram stories and captions and like Twitter posts and just like trying to find anything that we could find to figure out how this guy got here and why we were the only ones that noticed was so much fun and I think that that's really going to be reflected, I hope, in this story that comes out. And I'm really excited for it. And that by far is like the, like, it is the runaway, like, number one thing for me this week is just like, we discovered a player that the Senior Bowl completely unintentionally was keeping secret from people. Um, and, you know, so to be able to, like, go through that with all of you guys and, like, be able to say, like, hey, like, we should really tell this story and, like, get this down and just be in the same room as people doing this sort of thing. Like, there are a lot of people that I spend a lot of time with back home that don't really understand the way that this job works and the, when like what I'm doing every day and like what I'm like working towards. Um, and a lot of times I don't really either. Um, but stuff like that, where like we all get back from practice and we're like, okay, we're all going to just pour our heart and soul into figuring out like what is going on with this story. Those are the times when like, I realize that like I am doing what, I'm supposed to be doing. And every year that I come down here or go to, or come down to Frisco or do any, any sort of travel for this stuff. And I'm in the same places as guys like you guys. Um, I get that feeling and it's so rewarding and so validating just to remember that like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And this is where you guys are supposed to be. And like all of us belong and all of us are going to continue ascending and belonging i mean like like i said the first the very first senior bowl that i came to four years ago i had maybe 200 followers on twitter and i just hit 3,000 this morning and you know like that's i'm not someone that cares about those numbers like it's cool whatever big big round number go burr but like 
objectively, that trajectory is insane. And it is not lost on me how insane it is. And to be on that ride with other people who get it as deeply as the people that I surround myself with do and realizing that every year when I come out here is always like so incredible. Uh, and so that part is always really cool, but also like discovering a player that the senior bowl is smuggling into practice uh, kind of takes the cake. Uh, and I'm very excited for you guys to all read that story when it comes out. Um, so please keep an eye out because that is going to fucking rock. Yeah, I will. And, I, I can echo a lot of what you said about that first senior bowl, Katzen, because I was I was in a similar boat. I was I had like I don't know five hundred ish. I'm I hit six thousand a couple weeks ago. Like it's it's weird that when you hit those numbers, they really mean nothing. But at the same time, it's also so incredibly validating that what like enough people care about what you're doing to click a button that says, I want to see what you're doing. And I want to see how you grow and develop in this space. Like I decided to join to do this because I've always wanted to be in football. First, I wanted to be at five years old. I wanted to be a punter. Like, I, like that's serious. Just like us. <laughs> yeah. My, my dad actually built me PVC goalposts in the backyard and I used to kick field goals all the time. That's not like, punting. No, I I wanted to be a kicker too. I wanted I wanted to be what Pat McAfee was at West Virginia. I wanted to do both, um, but I never it never came to fruition. And then when I almost died from my appendix, like I just said, screw it. I'm just gonna start writing and try and see what happens. And I went with a now defunct website with like one other guy, and the rest of the site never showed. Um, and now I'm full-time in the industry and the other guy was full-time in the industry for a little bit. And he's trying to get back in because layoffs have been a pain in the ass for a lot of people, man. It's, it's so cool to see that kind of growth and development, even though some of it feels minuscule and meaningless to other people, it, it really hits home and it really is cool. And something I don't take for granted to be able to do this full time and sit at home with my dog and be able to talk about football for a living, pay my bills because I talk about football. Like it's so cool on so many levels. And I, I love being able to go down to places like mobile and earn it again and again and again. And I, Everything you said just hit it, it just continues to hit home because it's it's so cool to be able to go on a journey like this with people who are on the same one and understand and support and just makes it that much better. Yeah, for sure, man. And speaking of growth and development, we are trying to grow and develop the fucking podcast, baby. <laughs> uh, so make sure you uh, go and review five stars. Um, subscribe on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, uh, leave a review, follow the show on Twitter, follow us on Twitter, follow the other co-hosts on Twitter, even though they're lame and did a serious episode about scouting process or whatever. Boom. So be sentimental and talking about their feelings. Um, and if you do none of those things, we have to do a whole episode dedicated to Kevin and nobody wants that. 
That's true. Yeah, if you don't uh, if you don't leave a five star review, Kevin will uh, have no choice but to host an episode this off season, and none of us want that to oh, happen. The, uh, I, I would also just like to add that if you don't subscribe to the YouTube channel, they're letting me do that whole episode solo, which means you get an hour of just me talking. And I mean, I would love that a lot, but I think no I one else for everyone else when I say no one else wants. No that. one else would. Yeah. So make sure you. Uh, you leave a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you uh, listen to your podcasts. Follow the show on Twitter. Follow the show on YouTube. We're uh, dipping our toes into the video content stuff. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot more of that stuff kind of as uh, draft season ramps up, as the season gets back in swing in the fall. Uh, we're really excited for all the stuff that we have planned. Um, like I said, growth and development, baby. Um, so make sure you uh, go do that everywhere that you can that you can find us. Uh, all of those links will be in the episode description. Um, and yeah, until uh, next week when we have the gang all back together, I'm sure we'll find something to talk about. I don't know if it'll be the Super Bowl. It probably won't be. Um, <laughs> almost certainly not. Almost certainly not. It'll probably be something entirely different. Um, but until then, uh, we will see you guys next time. Uh, this has been the mobile half of the crew. Um, and yeah, catch us next time when we, uh, don't have an episode because, uh, Tyler is stuck in Dallas with mechanical issues again. <laughs> Until next time, guys. Ooh. Good night.